Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, August the 7th, 2023. It is currently 526 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Regret. Do you ever have any regrets? Now, if we're going to start talking about regrets, I have plenty. I have made so many mistakes, big mistakes, so many regrets in my life. But sometimes I just have these little regrets, these things that, you know, I'm not here to make some massive point, but this is a situation where it's not the biggest regret. It's not something catastrophic. It's just one of those irritating regrets. Do you have sometimes those little irritating regrets where you, maybe you promise to do something and then when it's time to do it, you're like, oh, I regret that I promised to do this. Why? Why? Oh boy. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going. Okay. Okay. Yep. You're right. You're right. I guess we're going to do that. Do you ever have those kinds of regrets? Well, I have a regret this afternoon because it was, was it Friday? I think it was Friday. I think it was Friday. All of a sudden, I started seeing and all these different Christian websites, controversy. Now, I know every day there is controversy in the world of Christianity, especially if you hang out on any Christian-related social media. If you keep up with what's going on in the Christian world on any social media, you know every day there's a new controversy. And what are we, what are we supposed to be upset about today? And everyone's taking sides and this person's a heretic and that person, everyone's attacking everyone. But I, typically I just kind of ignore that. I don't usually really report on it, but this is one of those situations. I didn't really know what to do a live broadcast on. And it was just, this was everywhere. J.D. Greer. Did you see what J.D. Greer said in his sermon? J.D. Greer, he went off on his people for showing up to church late and leaving early. He wasn't happy. He was ticked off. J.D. Greer, how dare they? And then everyone had an opinion. Oh, this was so wrong for him to talk to the people that way. The the church is a family. That's not a family. Others were like, what are you talking about, J.D.? Greer, you've turned preaching into basically performance so that people can take it or leave it. It's on you. And other people are like, well, I don't know. Are we really being fair? Oh, you shut up. We don't care about being fair. We have to attack someone. We have to destroy someone. You know, so I just, I saw all of it happening and I thought, you know what? Let me just grab the clip that's gone viral, play the clip and tell everyone, hey, come Monday, We'll just review the entire sermon because what we have learned time and time again is when on Christian social media, where they grab two minutes of a sermon, 56 seconds of a sermon, whatever, so many times. Well, first, it's completely unfair for them to do that, just to take a clip from someone's sermon, post it online, and then everyone bashes and attacks and judges and condemns based off two or three minutes. That's just, that's not godly. You should not participate in it. You should ignore it and you should definitely not be doing it, right? So, but if you're going to criticize a a sermon, post the whole thing and then let everyone watch the entire sermon and then criticize sermon based on what was said in its full context. Two minutes, three minutes, it's not fair. We just did that uh, recently with a Stephen Furtick sermon where on TikTok, they're playing clips from his sermon. 
Well, when we put it in its fuller context, oh, there was still much to disagree with, but he wasn't quite saying it the way the clip inferred that he was saying it. So once, and that's, that's not me agreeing with Stephen Furtick's, you know, theology. I completely disagree with it, but you get, you get the idea. You still, I don't care who the person is. I don't care if they're a Christian, not a Christian. I don't care if they're a politician, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Satanist. Do not bear false witness and treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, those are basic things, right? Let people critique the sermon, but then give access to the full sermon and don't rip little sound bites out of context. You would want to be represented by everything you say, not something taken out of context. So I said, hey, today we will review the entire sermon by J.D. Greer. And now here it is Monday, now Monday afternoon, fast approaching Monday evening. I'm just going to be honest with you. Now I don't really care. You know why? Because everyone's already moved on. I don't know what the big controversy is today, but for the most part, everyone's moved on. So I'm like, why did I even say that? Now I'm like, man, now I know, I know, I know, I know. I could probably not review it. And I doubt I would even get one email going, hey, wait a minute. I thought you said you were going to review that J.D. Greer sermon. Why didn't you ever do that? I doubt I would even get one email. Maybe one, maybe one. But you know what? I said it. So here I am. It's time to pay my dues. (laughs) It's time to live up to what I said. So sit back and for the next 16 years, you know, these reviews take forever. That's why I shouldn't have never said that. These reviews take sometimes two and three hours to really be fair to the sermon. So we're going to review, we're going to analyze, and we're going to critique the, 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 the dramatic part, the viral part is where he says, basically, guys, you know, you are treating church like a, basically a religious show. You show up late, you leave early. That's the section that gets all of the attention. But, you know, we're going to review the whole thing and we're going to be fair and we're going to try to put it in its proper context. And let's see what we have. Sometimes what happens is the viral clip that everyone's yelling and screaming about. Turns out to be absolutely nothing. And then like the major hermeneutical error, theological heresy that's actually in the sermon, nobody ever mentions. Like this part, he said this, or like, do you, can you believe what he's wearing? I'm like, did you, can you believe what he actually, what the entire sermon was actually about? Like sometimes the sermon is far worse than the part that everyone is hyping on, you know, but harping on, hyping on, whatever one's hyping up. So um, we're going to just do this. We're going to try to be fair to J.D. Greer, whether we agree or disagree with him. He has a right to be heard in his full context. So, and what drove drove me crazy, there was a number of places where I saw the viral clip of this sermon by J.D. Greer. And I would ask people, where's the entire sermon? Where's the entire sermon? Does anybody have a link to the entire sermon? Does anyone have a link to the entire? And I was just ignored because nobody cared about being fair. They just wanted to get, ooh, I got 56 seconds from a sermon. (laughs) Yeah, everyone click on my social media feed. That stuff drives me crazy, you know? So I had to look it up, found it. I think actually, I think religious leaders sent out an email about the sermon had gone viral. And I think they provided a link 
um, in their news article. So I think most of the articles I saw didn't even provide a link to the full sermon. But this one, I, th- and I don't know. I don't think, actually, I don't think they had a link. I think they just gave the name of the sermon. So I had to go look it up uh, myself. So even there, why wouldn't you just put a hyperlink? I, I, it just makes no sense. You're going to attack someone. Let everyone hear the whole thing in its full context. You just, you think basic, like sometimes it's just amazing how Christianity just can't follow, forget Christian morality, just common human decency, right? Just treat people the way you want to be treated. Just treat people decently. You know, don't lie about people. Don't slander people. Don't gossip. You don't, you know, just, I mean, I don't know, just bait. You would just think stuff you would learn like in kindergarten and how to treat people, but you know, what, what do you expect, you know, from Christians? You know, oh, yeah. now I know I'm being a little condemning. You know, what you should expect of Christians is them to be sinners just like everyone else because that's the reality, even though we try to pretend that's not the case. But we, sh- we manifest it over and over and over. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. <sighs> yes, I'm going to sigh. I'm looking at the time. 44 minutes and 47 seconds. This is going to take us... <sighs> Oh man. If I do this just one one episode per day, that 44 minutes is going to take us th- three episodes. It's going to take us three ep- possibly four. So, um I'm a little discouraged, but you know what? I said I was going to do this. Let's do this. Let's hope that something good comes from it. Now, remember, just for those new to the Theology Central podcast, when we do sermon review, we have certain rules in effect. I have not listened to the sermon in advance, because that would not really be a sermon review. That would be putting on a show. It would be rehearsed. And I cannot stand that. The way this is supposed to work is you're driving by. You see that I'm up in the studio. You stop. You come around. You knock on the door. You walk up the stairs to the studio. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to listen to a sermon. Can I listen with you? Sure. And we sit down and listen. And we hit pause. And we discuss it. We play. And so I never know where this is going. I know there's the viral clip. But I never know where this is going. Uh, Yes, this preacher is a Baptist. He used to be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So yes, he's Southern Baptist for the different flavors of Baptist, right? Okay, so there, good. Someone's already asking all the important questions. All right, are we ready? I'm trying to prepare myself. These sermon reviews last so long. So, so yes. So I, I, I don't listen to it in advance. I'm going to obviously interrupt and analyze and critique. And uh, if you're listening on Spreaker, feel free to add your own comments. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. If you have any comments, observations, or questions, I will try to check the email throughout. I will try my best. All right. Here, and if I don't get to your emails today, clearly we're not going to finish the review today. So when we start the next one, I can read some of the emails about the first part. But here we go. This was not this Sunday, but last Sunday. So this, not this, not yesterday, but the Sunday before, J.D. Greer stood before his people And he preached a sermon from James chapter 2 about, well, what people should come to church and what people shouldn't come to church. Let's find out. 
All right, James chapter two, if you have your Bibles this morning, James chapter two, I want to preach a message that I have entitled the people who don't belong in church, or at least the ones we assume don't belong in church. Don't be looking around right now and trying to identify that. That'll turn on you here at the end of this message. I'm warning you. Chapter two, verse one, here's what James says. My brothers, James says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. No partiality in Greek is literally without respect to face. Don't judge somebody or show favoritism with respect to facial or external characteristics. By the way, it's a point of interest. That word, here it is, I'll put it up for you. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Honestly, I wasn't sure how to say it. So I was hoping that some of you uh, might actually help me out with that. Uh, it is prosopolimpici or something like that uh, is what it says. Without favoritism, that is not found anywhere else in the Bible or anywhere else in Greek literature. In fact, as far as we can tell, James made it up. What that means is that this is a uniquely Christian concept. It is virtually unknown in the ancient world. They didn't even have a word for what James is commanding Christians to do here. This is completely and totally something that comes out of the gospel that the gospel was introducing into the world. In verse two, James, like any good Bible teacher, tells a story to illustrate his point. He says, for... Okay, man, he's moving like 100 miles per second. I'm like, slow down, slow down, slow down. All right, the Greek word is this... Here is the Greek word, ladies and gentlemen. It is this. Strong's G, 4382. Prosopalampsia. Prosopalampsia. <laughs> Pro- Prosopalampsia. Whoa, man. He's right. I don't know if I could say it correctly, all right? Now, it me, it's, used, now it's used four times in the King James. And it's all, all four times it's translated respect of persons. It is used... Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25, and James 2.1. Did he, he made it sound like it's not used anywhere else. Did he not? Oh, I hate to back this up. We're going to have to back this up. All right. I'm going to, we may have to listen to that entire segment again because he's going so fast because I don't want to, I don't want to correct him because I may have misheard him because he was going so quick. When he, when he, when he pulled up the Greek word, prosopopsia, sia, I think is how you say it. Um, when he, when he pulled it up or when he mentioned it, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I started just thinking anything I know about the Greek word. And so he was saying some things. So I, but it is used elsewhere in the Bible. So let me, let me, let's, let's back it up here. Right. Uh, let, let's back this up and let's verify. All right. Yeah. I think, I think that's what he said. It's the only place. So let, let's just verify, verify, verify. So let's verify, verify, verify. All right. So we're going to, we're going to back this up. I know I'm going to back it up all the way. That's okay. I, I would rather, I would rather just review for, you know, a minute of this and take an hour to review a minute because the whole thing about reviewing sermons is these are the kind of things that you sitting in the pew, I hate to say, you can't, you can't just take someone's word for it when they, when they say something about the Greek or about the church fathers or anything like that or church history, you got to look it up. And that's why I do something in my sermons that drives a lot of people crazy online. But I pull up the Blue Letter Bible app right in front of the church. Then I play 
the pronunciation of the Greek word, hold the iPad to my microphone, and I have everyone else in my church opening up their phones and their and the app looking at it for themselves so that anything I say, if we find out that we were wrong, we know that the information was wrong. It wasn't just because I didn't look it up. It's right there in front of us. And I and I and I always do that. So um yeah, and that's where the reason I do so. That's the reason I do so. I look it up. Now, sometimes I may just make a, a lot of times I'll get ready to make a passing reference to a Greek or Hebrew word and I'll stop and say, you know what? Let's just look it up. And the reason why is very early on in my ministry. I've told this story a million times. Um, there, I think um, all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. I think in the book of Isaiah, I said, uh, I said something about the Hebrew word there. And so I get home and then I get a phone call and it's from a lady. And she's like, uh, I don't think the Hebrew word meant what you said. And I was like, are you sure? And so I looked it up and guess what I had to do the next time I was, uh, I preached. I stood in front of the entire congregation and had to apologize and say, I was wrong. Someone had to look it up. That, that was embarrassing and humiliating because I should not say a Greek or Hebrew word means something unless I'm 1000% sure that's the case. So a lot of times I'll get ready to make a passing comment thinking I remember and then stop myself and go, you know what, everyone? Come on, let's just open up the Blue Letter Bible app. Let's just look for ourselves. Now, some people who may have more extensive, you know, study, maybe even a degree in Greek or Hebrew may go, well, come on, that's not, that's not very academic. Well, that's, it's the tool that is easily accessible to everyone. So we can at least all together come to a certain level of understanding and everyone knows it's that the information is coming from a specific source and everyone has that source in their own hands. So I think it's a good idea. So let's see what he had to say and see if we are incorrect here or correct. Let's see. Let's see what's going on here. Here we go. All right. James chapter two. If you have your Bibles this morning, James chapter two, I want to preach a message that I have entitled the people who don't belong in church, or at least the ones we assume don't belong in church. Don't be looking around right now and trying to identify that. That'll turn on you here at the end of this message. I'm warning you. Chapter two, verse one. Here's what James says. My brothers, James says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. No partiality in Greek is literally without respect to face. Don't judge somebody or show favoritism with respect to facial or external characteristics. Okay, let's stop right here. He says it's literally without respect to face. Now, if we look this up, the, the Strong's definition is it's from a different Greek word uh, about partiality, favoritism, respect of persons. I don't know where he's getting respect of face. Um, now, the outline of biblical usage, which comes from, I think that comes from Thayer's Greek lexicon, uh, respect of persons, partiality. The fault of one who, when called on to give judgment, has respect of the outward circumstance of man and not to their intrinsic merits, and so prefers as the more worthy one who is rich, high-born, or powerful or to another who does not have these qualities. I don't know where he's getting the face, the face comment from. I don't know where he's getting the face comment from. It may be from something 
I don't know where he's getting the information. See, the problem is a lot of times the pastors say these things in such a dogmatic and authoritative way, but they don't necessarily tell you the source from which they're ga- they gathered such information. Well, like, where did you get the information from? So again, that's just something I do that, again, drives some people crazy and say, it's not preaching. Well, I don't care. You can accuse me of whatever. I will say, hey, Grab the Bible dictionary because we you, we have one in almost every pew. Let's look it up. Hey, grab your phones. Uh, hey, look this up. Hey, sometimes I'll be like, go back to the library. I think there's a book back there, and I'll tell. I'll, I I will do that because I, I want people to know where why we're drawing this conclusion and where we got the information from. So I'm, I'm going to back that up one more time, one more time. And we're just, we're just going to see how accurate all this information is. See, everyone's worried about, ooh, he rebuked people for showing up late for church. Let's make it go viral. Well, maybe we should worry about the very beginning of the sermon. And is he giving us correct information about a specific Greek word that is translated respect of persons in the King James or, or partiality in other translations? Like, what should we be more worried about? I don't know. I don't know. So let, let's, let's, let's listen. All right, James chapter two, if you have your Bibles this morning, James chapter two, I want to preach a message that I have entitled the people who don't belong in church, or at least the ones we assume don't belong in church. Don't be looking around right now and trying to identify that. That'll turn on you here at the end of this message. I'm warning you. Chapter two, verse one, here's what James says. My brothers, James says, my brothers show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. No partiality in Greek is literally without respect to face. Don't judge somebody or show favoritism with respect to facial or external characteristics. By the way, it's a point of interest. That word, here it is. I'll put it up for you. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Honestly, I wasn't sure how to say it. So I was hoping that some of you uh, might actually help me out with that. Uh, it is prosopolimpici or something like that uh, is what it says. Without favoritism, that is not found anywhere else in the Bible or anywhere else in Greek literature. In fact, as far as we can tell, James made it up. It's nowhere else in the Bible? I, I'm not, is he saying... With respect of per, it's literally all four times translated respect of persons. Okay, and again, the Greek word is just so that we know it, and we and I, because I've I've probably said it incorrectly multiple times. Strong's G forty three eighty two, All right, there's the Greek word. It is literally used Romans two eleven. For there is no respect of persons with God, Ephesians 6, 9. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them for bearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him, Colossians 3, 25. But he, he, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. And then James 2, 1, my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of, hang on, I've got to, just trying to update, with respect of persons. So Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, that's all Paul, all right? 
And I, so I don't know where he's getting, where did he get his information? Now, if he would tell me where he gets his information, I will have no problem saying I'm wrong. I got no problem saying I'm wrong. It's not a competition. I, I, in fact, I really wish he would tell me where he got his information because if he told me where he got his information, then guess what? I would immediately then say, well, the blue letter Bible app is wrong, but literally it's right there. So I don't know where he, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really know. And let me, and let me just, I'm going to see something here. I'm going to just, I got to verify something here just because I just noticed I have a Bible handbook sitting here next to me. I could be way off here. I could be way off, but I'm going to look here. All right. I'm going to look, uh, maybe. Uh, okay. Um, Okay, James supposedly was written around 45 A.D. All right, James was written in 45 A.D. Okay, now if we go to Romans, let's go to Romans. Romans was written, let's see here, a 57, so it would be after James. Then we have Ephesians 6, so that would be... Ephesians are written around 53 to 61. Oh, no, that's when the events happened. Um, 61 is when it's written. And then Colossians. So James may be the first one to use the term. Uh, Colossians 3 was written, it looks like, on 61. So James looks like would be the early earliest. So you could say, no one before James... Use, I don't, I mean, again, that would be, that's a massive statement to say this, this Greek word doesn't show up anywhere else in Greek, Greek, Greek literature. That's a massive claim. So he had to get that claim from someone. He had to get the claim from someone, right? So he's like, this is just a Christian thing. Well, first, it does appear elsewhere in the Bible. So to say it doesn't appear elsewhere in the Bible is just incorrect. It appears Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, and Colossians 3.25. Then James 2, 1. All right, so it does in the Bible. To say it doesn't use anywhere else in Greek literature, he had to get that from some source. So he needs to state the source. And I don't know, is, are you saying this is just that no other, that, hey, don't, res, don't have a respect of persons based off their external features or their external whatever. Are you saying that that's just a Christian idea that no other religion, no other traditions, no other morality says that, that's a massive claim as well. He's making some serious claims. Let's see where he goes with this. What that means is that this is a uniquely Christian concept. It is virtually unknown in the ancient world. They didn't even have a word for what James is commanding Christians to do here. This is completely and totally something that comes out of the gospel that the gospel was introducing into the world. In verse two, James, like any good Bible teacher, tells a story to illustrate his point. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in a shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, will you stand over there in the back, or you sit down here on the floor at my feet, have you not then become made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So here you've got a situation where a rich man comes into church and he gets ushered right to the best seats down front. 
And right after him, a poor man comes in and he's told uh, to sit or stand in the back. This illustration does not fully translate to us anymore because today in most Baptist churches, the coveted seats are in the back, right? But just go with me here for a minute. The point is the church is granting status and privilege based on worldly wealth. If you do this, James asked, verse four again, have you not then made ungodly distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The sin of partiality is categorizing people based on things that don't matter to God. Or to quote Tony Evans, it's when you make a value judgment on a person based on an unbiblical criteria. It is when you judge a book, so to speak, by its cover. Years ago, I read an article by a guy who grew up in a pretty poor community, but he'd done really, really well in school. And so he managed to get an incentive scholarship to Harvard University, or as we like to call it around here, the Campbell University of the North, okay? Well, in his first semester there, he apparently picked up some of the Harvard airs. You know, he started to speak with a Boston accent. He donned expensive Italian leather St. Lawrence shoes, and he started to wear vineyard vines. He'd correct his family's grammar whenever they would talk on the phone. He even started to smoke a pipe. Well, when he came home for Christmas, his father invited him out onto the back porch and uh, took out a big box of cigars and opened them up, and the boy was impressed because he saw the label Padrone on them, which meant they were $30 a stick. He took one out and he he sniffed it, then he cut the top off and he he said in a very condescending tone, see dad, you can tell, you can tell this is an expensive cigar because of the way the top just pops off. It's been properly rolled. He then lit it up and he said, see dad, you can tell this is a good cigar by the way it lights, the tobacco is still properly moist. So it takes a moment to catch flame. That's because it's been properly cured. He proceeded to make several more expert sounding observations about the aroma and the way the smoke wafted and and et cetera, really lecturing his dad about differentiating good cigars from bad ones. Finally, his dad said, well, that's great, son, especially since these are really, really cheap cigars. The boy said, no, 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 dad. The Padron is a $30 cigar. Yes, son, his dad said, but that's a $30 Padron wrapper on a 75 cent cigar. I know because I changed them myself. These are Swisher Sweets in Padron wrappers. At which point the guy writing the article said, my dad then began to explain to me how simply putting a fancy cover onto something doesn't actually make the inside any different. He said, I never forgot the lesson. Though to be honest, he said, the main thing that I could never really get over is my dad's patience in spending over $1,000 on cigars and then unwrapping and rewrapping each one by hand to teach me this lesson. And of course, wondering what happened to all those really expensive cigars. You cannot judge a book or a cigar or a person by its cover. Okay. So we're going to have a sermon on the sin of partiality. You can't judge a book by its cover. All right. A lot going on here. Now, I don't necessarily want to do this. But I am going to bring this up because we have all of that weird thing that happened at the beginning, right? That weird, like, wait, he's saying this is the only place. He's giving this information about the Greek and he's saying all of these things in a very dogmatic, assertive way. And he never cites a source. He does, when he quotes Tony Evans, say he's quoting Tony Evans. Okay, that's, that's good. That's awesome. But the rest of that information, he doesn't really give us anything. I just, I, I hate to say this. But I got to report this because it, it was in the news. 
In the midst of the exposure of the largest evangelical plagiarism scandal in modern times, it has become increasingly clear that the vast majority of the leadership in the evangelical world are frauds, from the newly elected Southern Baptist President Ed Litton, who has been criticized for his serial plagiarism of former President J.D. Greer, dating back as far as 2013. From what we've discovered... To J.D. Greer himself, nothing can be more clear than that God's judgment is on the Southern Baptist Convention. Some astute watchdogs have uncovered that this scandal runs deep, far, and wide. In an interview with Jim Osman uh, that was published last night, Justin Peters revealed that many evangelical leaders have been purchasing sermons from a research group that prepares sermon materials for a wide range of evangelical pastors, regardless of doctrinal con- uh, convictions. This research group is called, I'm just going to say Docent, D-O-C-E-N-T, Docent, according to Docent's website, and if I'm if I'm saying that incorrectly, please forgive me. The group partners with pastors to provide research assistance to lighten their load and help them serve their churches more effectively, and will assist with both sermon and sociological research, offering consultations with experienced ministry leaders and producing curriculum. Further, Docent will carefully pair uh, pair graduate level researchers with our client based on theological compatibility, meaning Docent has no actual doctrinal convictions. They merely mold to fit whatever doctrine the church requesting their help requires. Um, It goes on to say, um, so they talk a little bit more about this controversy. uh, And it says, it has been exposed that many popular evangelicals use this service on a regular basis. To name a few, an article at Patheos points out that this service has been used and endorsed by... Some of the following. Are you ready? Tim Keller, Judd White, Tim Hawks, John uh, Ortberg, Mac Richards, Jarrett Stevens, Toby Slough, Mark Driscoll, Greg Goschel, I think of uh, uh, Life Church, and of course, J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer, though, has not only admitted that he used this service, but that he uses it so that he can be lazy while it still makes him look good. And a glowing endorsement that has now been removed, but it's still available on the Wayback Machine archives, he writes, Dosen has been a humongous help to me, saving literally hours each week and improving the quality of my preaching dramatically. These guys are the real deal. I give them assignments and questions on everything from interpretation to cultural analysis to illustration, and they get me, th- they get me thorough answers always on time. They're outstanding scholars and really get my job as a communicator. I often have people remark to me, how many hours did you spend on that sermon? Where where do you get the to time to do all that research? Ha, oh, thanks guys for making me look so good. Now I reported on that story way way back when it all was going down and everybody was upset about the the plagiarism and I'm like plagiarism pastors buy their sermons. We've even done a whole little thing we where I bought a sermon and then we listened to someone preach the sermon that I bought, okay, right? Just to show you how it all works. Uh, So here it is. He's used that. Now, did he get that information we just heard from them? I don't know. I don't know where it came from. But I know this. It's at least questionable. All right? Now, 
He then goes off into an illustration. He has this long illustration about cigars. And, okay, you can't judge a book by its cover. All right, all right. So there's a part of me that wants to say, all this sounds like it came from a sermon company where he bought it. But but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm just, it's just, it's hard for me to hear and not then go, well, wait a minute. Who did the research for you? Because he himself admitted on their website when he gave a glowing endorsement. Now, finally, the endorsement was taken down because I think it, it created so much heat. But that doesn't mean did he stop using it? Because he sounded really good there, right? He sounded like he knew the history of this Greek word. He sounded like he knew where it was and wasn't in the Bible. He said it dogmatically. He said it clearly. He said it authoritatively. And then we, just in a few minutes, have kind of questioned the validity of any of it. Now, I don't know. Does, does, that, does that bother you at all? I mean, if you're listening on Spreaker, feel free to tell me. Or do you not care? Now, I, my assessment, this was my assessment going way, way back. You can probably find the sermons in our archives or the podcast. My assessment was the average person in the pew could care less. They don't care where the sermon comes from. They don't care whether the pastor has done the research, not done the research. Just give me a good sermon. Make sure you're a good communicator, good eye contact. Get me out on time and let's get to this. I don't think they really care. And you know what? Even if the pastor spent hours, and I do understand this, even if the pastor spent 15 hours of of study and research, the people will disagree with him instantaneously. Even Even if you do 15 hours of research and you preach, someone who's done zero hours of research will tell you you are wrong. Okay, so it really doesn't matter if you do the study or not. Now, to me, the reason you do the study is because it's the right thing to do. And hopefully... It's because you love to do the study. You love to dig in. You love to fear because you love what you're doing. But I can understand when you become tired and jaded. You're like, you know, 15 hours of research for what? Five seconds later, someone's going to tell me I'm wrong anyway. It doesn't really. It's like I can spend hours researching and doing things for a podcast. Do you think Do you think the first person who emails me stops to go, well, I wonder how much time he spent studying that? They don't care. They just immediately email me to say you are wrong. Um Okay, someone just said, well, I just don't understand it because it makes the, the preacher uh, a professional speaker uh, far as the sermon uh, area goes. I like to think when listening, it is a sermon. I'm hearing that the, pa- uh, the pastor's insight. Okay, that's, I think so. so. That's someone who may care. I, don't, I just think the majority don't. Um, someone else says, most people in the pews believe whatever is said, like uh, most people believe whatever they see on TV or social media. Well, there's truth to that. I think they should mention it somehow, like citing a source for for a paper. That's true. According, you could do that. Hey, uh, we're going to be in James chapter 2, and then you get to that part and say, according to some research that was done for me that I paid to have done, uh, this research group has told me that this Greek word is not used anywhere else in the Bible, and that... Uh, it was not used anywhere else in Greek literature, and so it was made up by James, and that this is a uniquely Christian concept. Now, he could state that. Now, what do you do when someone calls you and go, well, your research group <laughs> is, 
<laughs> I don't know who does the research there. They may have had the intern doing it that day. I don't know. I mean, again, maybe the research group is right. I'm more than willing to correct our, our perspective here. Uh, all I know is we looked it up in the Blue Letter Bible app, and it's like, the Greek word is used four times, and it's always translated the same way. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, to pour over all of the Greek... Uh, well, it would be a, a big job. Well, it is a little bit of a big job. I mean, it is, but, and I know he's joking, but there, there you go. Um, I, some of these I'm reading comments from uh, Spreaker for those listening on other platforms. All right. So, all right, well, let's continue though. So I know we got way sidetracked there, but I just, it was hard for me. Um, someone said, but I doubt anyone would admit the extent of the use because it's embarrassing. I think it would be, I mean, he said, it makes me look good. I mean, he did say it and he, and he, and, and it was literally on their website of like, because I remember looking up the website when I was covering it as a news story. And I'm like, here's, here's a quote from Mark Driscoll. Here's a quote from J.D. Greer. Here's a, cro- a quote from all of these famous pastors. And I'm like, yeah, they're famous pastors and they don't write their sermons. I mean, like, I don't know, like in some ways it made me feel good. You know, in some ways it's like, I'm not a famous pastor and my sermons may be trash, but at least I write them. Okay. At least I put them together. They may be trash and, and any resources I use, I bring them all to the pulpit. I bring them all. You, anytime I'm standing in the pulpit, you'll see there's books to my right, books to my left. There's a table right behind the pulpit. It's always covered in books. It's in total disarray. It probably, it's an eyesore to everyone, but they're all right. And I'll go back there and I'll grab a handbook or I'll grab that. Sometimes I mention, I, I try to get better now at mentioning the source when I'm uh, on, because I know I'm being live streamed, but in the past, I didn't really think about it because I just, you know, the people there can see what I'm, you know, what I'm holding. So, uh, but even sometimes people from uh, in, in, in uh, my church will say, what's the source? Um, which is a good thing, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. All right. But let's, let's continue. Um, yeah, that's, I just, I just, I'm just trying to figure out where he got that information and how it could be at least so questionable, but we're supposed to be focusing on the sin of partiality. Now, this is a situation, listen to me carefully. Even when you hear something in a sermon that you may not think is good, or you may not think is right, or you may not disagree with it. You can't spend your life being a sermon critic. You can't spend your life being a pastor critic. You still want to learn and you still want to be convicted. So what we need to be asking ourselves right now is not, ooh, we can look up the Greek. We know more than him. What we need to do right now is say, are you, are you guilty of the sin of partiality? And am I guilty of the sin of partiality? That's what we need to focus on now. The other stuff needed to be addressed. But that doesn't mean we throw out the rest of the sermon. We still want to benefit from the sermon spiritually. When we do sermon reviews, we don't want to just criticize. We want to see what we can gain from it spiritually. We always got to maintain that balance or you'll start living your Christian life out. Just And your and your fun is going to be finding what everyone else does wrong instead of looking into the Word of God and seeing your own sin, being convicted by it, and then hoping, hope, hopefully pursuing spiritual growth to move forward. So some people just love to find out everyone else is wrong and criticize, and that that will be detrimental to your spiritual. You'll 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 become more and more spirit. You'll become more and more knowledgeable. You'll become more and more theological. But you'll become less and less spiritual and less and less. Really, you won't even be pursuing godliness. Like you'll be like, oh, I know how everyone is wrong, and then look at your life. 
And then you'll be like, well, maybe I should stop worrying about everyone else being wrong and worry about my life. Because I look, I, I, that's a very easy thing for me to fall into. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying it to me as well. All right. So, all right. Here we go. Here we go. A similar thing was happening in James's church. The church was differentiating people, making distinctions based on assumptions about them, assumptions that were based on distinctions that carried no weight with God. Now, before you say, well, all right, I'm really going to enjoy this sermon because it's not about me at all. I mean, we're not like that anymore. There was no usher down front of the church or outside the doors this morning directing rich people toward the front and poor people toward the back. So I think we're good on this. Not so fast. Think about all the ways that we prejudge one another in the church. Let me go ahead and give you a little trigger warning here. This is about to get super uncomfortable, okay? Some of you, just like James says, you have a tendency to look down on people who are poor. You assume that in this country, the only way that you could possibly end up poor is by being lazy. So obviously that person just doesn't have what it takes like you did. Others of you are prejudiced, ironically enough, against the rich. Oh, look at them and their posh lifestyles. I bet they've never worked a day in their lives. They don't know what real life is like. They're so entitled. They got everything handed to them on a silver platter. I bet they're raising their kids the same way. I I don't even want to be around them. Some of you look down on people who are overweight or out of shape. Clearly, they have no self-control or no self-respect. Some of you don't like people who are skinny. Clearly, they are image-obsessed and superficial. Some of you don't like passionate worshipers because you assume that they are attention-seeking show-offs. Others of you don't like subdued worshipers because you assume they're just unspiritual. Some of you look down on divorced people because clearly they don't know how to make a commitment. Others of you don't like people with happy homes because you assume they're faking it. Some of you look at with suspicion at working moms. Obviously, they put their careers above their families. Others of you judge stay-at-home moms because you assume they're pampered and unambitious. Some of you assume people of color come into our church with a chip on their shoulder, ready to turn everything into a race issue. Others of you assume white people are blind to their privilege and do not care anything about what you're going through and will turn on you in a second. Some of you see Hispanic people and you assume that they've done something illegal in getting here and they don't care anything about assimilating into American culture. Some of you are suspicious of those who send their kids to public schools. Clearly, they don't really care about their kids. Others of you don't like homeschool parents because clearly they parent from fear and they're setting up their kids to fail when they encounter the real world. Some of you assume anybody who leans left politically doesn't really care about godliness. They have no backbone and no understanding of how economics work. Others of you assume that anybody who leans right politically just doesn't care about justice. They only care about preserving a status quo that benefits them. Am I preaching in here yet? Am I talking to anybody? You can tell how quiet it got. Woo, man. Okay, that, that, okay. Whatever happened at the beginning, I don't know. But right there, that's worth, that's worth the entire review. That's some convicting stuff. That stuff happens all the time. Now, you, whether you want to say this re, re, is com- completely related to James 2, I think you can definitely see it's adjacent and it definitely deals with a greater sin. We spend our time talking and condemning about other people. We make opinions about other people. 
We talk about other people. And what we need to do is stop talking about other people, making opinions about other people, and worry about ourselves. I, the way I always say it, stop looking out the window at everyone around you like some busybody Karen. And how about look in the mirror and go, man, I got enough problems of my own. How about criticizing what everyone else is doing and look at yourself and realize there's plenty to criticize there. Instead of looking at other people, how about spend a little bit of time looking at the law of God or God's holiness, and then you'll realize, I don't really have time to worry about anybody else because, oh, is me, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man on unclean hands. I deserve not. You then will see yourself. But we love to look at other people and bash other people and give our opinions on other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But how about stop talking about other people? That stuff used to drive me crazy. Now, uh, first and foremost, I've been just as guilty of this as anybody else because I I can do the exact same thing. But I, I used to get so frustrated with it in a workplace because I'm like, I don't want you to talk about other people. Can we talk about something of more substance? Can we talk about ideas or concepts or, I don't know, philosophy, anything other than other people? But that's where a lot of our conversation is. And in the church, I'm sorry. There's a lot of bashing people and and talking about people. But I would dare say, I would dare say, he's right now going after the people in the pew. Let's talk about the people behind the pulpit. All right, because I can talk about that. You, We, behind the pulpit, it is very, 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 very easy to start showing partiality when you know who's giving what. When you're in a church... And you know that family over there is the number one contributor to this church. And you get ready to preach and you know what you're getting ready to preach could possibly tick them off and they could stop coming to your church. You know at that moment you have to make a decision. Do you water it? Do you water it down or just avoid it because you don't want to tick them off because you know you could lose them. Now someone else who maybe only shows up once a week, doesn't give that much money, you have a greater tendency not to be too worried if you offend them because you're thinking, what are you going to lose? And come on, you may think that that's horrible and despicable, but pastors, even if it's not conscious, subconscious, if they know, that's why I try not to know anything I try not to know anything financially. I don't want to know who's giving. I don't want to know who's not giving. I don't want to know the when, what, where, when, how. I don't want to know anything, right? Because then you, because my job is to stand and preach with or without offense, not only to friend or foe, but to those who give and those who don't, those who show up for every service and those who only show up for one. I, I'm, I should have be equally willing to offend all and not worry about who I may lose. It's it's easy to talk a big game, but when it comes down to actual finances, so that partiality can happen and the pulpit and behind the pulpit you can start judging people just same way you can start making these these assumptions about people well so and so and so and so this and so and so that and so and so this and so and so that and so and so this and people in the pew can start making assumptions about the pastor well he this and he that and he this we got to be careful one that not only is this he's he's connecting with the sins of partiality but it's just us making unspiritual judgments based off obviously external things Things that we perceive. Now, please, okay? 
before you send me emails telling me how unfair my characterizations are. Okay, I'm just saying that there's a lot of prejudice at work in our hearts on whatever side of whatever issue you're on. And if you do send me an email, I'll just know it's, you know, that statement, like when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, it's the hit dog that hollers. Okay, so that's how I'll interpret your email. Tony, Tony Morita, who is a fellow pastor here in Raleigh at a great church here locally, says, in the church, we tend to categorize people by, number one, affluence, wealth. That's what James brings up. Number two, appearance, how somebody looks, how they dress, the color of their skin. Number three, accent. You assume that somebody's accent means something about them. They have a Hispanic accent. What well, means this? So they have a country accent. What well, means that? I grew up with a Southern accent and I still have a little bit of one. But when I was getting my PhD, I realized that if you spoke with a British accent, you automatically got a 15 point IQ bump in the eyes of whoever you were talking to. If you spoke with a Southern accent, you automatically got a 15 point deduction, which meant I could be just as smart as my British classmate, but he'd automatically start 30 IQ points ahead of me. Now I say that lightheartedly, but for many people, it's not funny. People make assumptions about them based on their accent or their name. I know people of color who tell me about how frustrating it is for employers to make assumptions about them because their name is Keyshawn instead of Scott. Hey, good news for those of you in that category. The disciples were looked down on for having Galilean accents and they still changed the world. But you should not have to overcome those suspicions in the church. Now, a couple of good things. I want to go back to his comment, though, that he made. I almost interrupted it immediately. Hey, how he's going to interpret the emails that the hit dog is the one who's going to yelp. The hit dog is the one who's going to who's going to make the noise. Sometimes as a church member, you should know that a lot of times when a pastor preaches a sermon that's a little bit, quote unquote, controversial or he says something, sometimes pastors will interpret your email like, oh, well, they just got they they got convicted. They got convicted, and so they're going to yell, and they, and you want they won't necessarily take the ser- the sermon, the the uh, email or the criticism seriously, which once again means what did he just do there? He made an assumption. Now he was joking around a little bit, but I'm I'm telling you, many times pastors make that assumption. Well, so and so got upset. Well, I wonder why. I wonder why they got upset because look what I was preaching on. They got upset because look what doctrine I was teaching. A uh, shocker. We know they don't like that doctrine. So am I going to take the credit? You know, I threw the rock in. The dog that got hit did the yelping. Like that, that, that first it's making an assumption based off maybe an appearance. They may be writing that email because deeply something is going on and you need to not just judge based off the fact that they sent the email. But it's easy to do that. So in a roundup way, he does the same thing. But sometimes as a church member, you need to do realize that. Sometimes you send that email thinking you're going to be heard, and they're just like, well, obviously so-and-so got convicted. So just, just something to know. All right. We make assumptions because of number four, age. Old people love to talk about, about kids these days and those dang millennials, who, by the way, are not kids anymore. They're all middle-aged, Right. <laughs> Or Jim Z, lunatics. Young people love to talk about how old, not a touch, boomers are. By the way, that was a problem in the early church too. Paul had to tell Timothy not to let people look down on him because of his youth. Number five, ancestry. In some parts of the world, that this is everything. What family are you from? What caste do you belong to? There was a day not too long ago in this country when black people either could not come into a white church or if they did, they had to sit in the balcony. 
That was not only a horrible sin, it is, as James says, a betrayal of the very gospel that we preach. Number six, achievement. We make assumptions about people based on their education or their... All right, someone in Spreaker just asked a very important question. Did the disciples get looked down on because of their accents? Did the disciples really get looked down on because of their accents? Now, I'm... I, I love doing this at church. Like if, if, if I'm at church and someone asks a question like that, I'd be like, I look at everyone else and say, all right, guys, what do you think? And then they look at the person who asked the question and they're like, way to go. Thanks for putting us on the spot. Because I rarely put the person who asked the question on the spot. I put everyone else on the spot. So everyone listening on Spreaker, who can find a verse that may justify the idea that the disciples were looked down upon because of their accent. Can anyone find a scripture that would either prove or disprove this assertion? All right. Let's see if we can prove or disprove this assertion. Whoever gets this right gets $300. Okay, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Whoever gets this right can send me $300. All right. Um, see. Hang on, I'm, I'm looking at something really quick. I got an idea. I'm looking at something. It's hard to do this on a live podcast because I'm like, if I'm standing behind the pulpit, I can be looking something up and everybody's looking at me. They can tell me what I'm doing. Dead air is, is the number one rule never to have. Oh, someone, okay. Someone said Matthew 26. Matthew 26, hang on, let's look at this. Is that 73? Matthew 26, 73. Okay, I think everyone's going there. Okay, all right, here we go. Everyone? Yeah, Matthew 26, 73. That's what, I, yeah. Oh, yep, here it is. Let's see. Um, oh, well. Okay, I don't think they look down, but it does mention accent. All right, Matthew 26, 73. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou art one of them for thy speech betrayeth thee. All right. So in other words, Peter's speech, they knew, oh, you're, you're, there was something about obviously his accent that gave him away that he had to be one of the disciples. So obviously there had to be something about their speech or their accent. They were known for where they were from. All right. So there's one. I don't think that can be the only one. Is there another verse? Hang on, I'm looking. Oh, let's see here. Um, Now, th this is just what, uh, this is just, I, I went a different direction. A Galilean in the Bible is an inhabitant of the area in Israel near the Sea of Galilee. In the time of Christ, Galilee was the northernmost of the three provinces of Israel above Samaria in the middle and Judea in the south. Approximately 700 years before Christ, Galilee's Israelites inhabitants were conquered by Assyria. Most of the Jews living there were relocated to Assyria, while non-Jewish immigrants moved into Galilee. This is why Bible sometimes refer to the area as the Galilee of the Gentiles. 
Judeans tended to look down on Galileans, viewing them as uneducated and of questionable ancestry. Galileans also had a reputation of being rabble-rousers, as they often took part in protests and uprising against the Roman occupiers. It is significant that Jesus grew up in Galilee, and in Galilee recruited most of his disciples. He started his ministry and performed his first miracles. Being Galilean, Galilean was despised. So, and there's lots of scriptures here that seems to say, hey, that, yeah, if they, they're, if they were from Galilee, they probably would have had a possible uh, accent, an accent, and they possibly, I think, could have possibly been looked down. So I think it's within reason to say there's probably something to that claim. Once again, going back to the problem, not only in culture, but in the church. And just remember, whatever problems we have in culture, we have in the church. We have the same prejudices. We have the same gossip. We have the same slander. We have the same condemning of people. And we have the same making, you know, we we show partiality. And we have these preferences. In many cases, it, it does not show love to our enemy, and it shows an ungodliness. All right, so let, let's continue. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Someone, no, I, it's a good question. It's a good question. And because once again, it demonstrates the kind of problem he is talking about and the kind of problem we have to look in our heart and see if we're guilty of it. Your vocation. Lastly, number seven, alliteration. Some people like me and Pastor Tony have the ability to make everything start with the same letter. And some of you don't. And that doesn't make us better than you, just more Baptist. It's a gift, okay? So that is the sin of partiality. Why is it so wrong, especially in the church? James gives you three reasons. The first is in verse five. Listen, he says, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Here is reason number one. James says external riches rarely reflect internal excellencies. If anything, James says, those who are worldly rich tend to be spiritual blessing poor. James says to the church, he says, look around, look around, look around. It's not the rich who are flooding into your churches, it's the poor The rich, the rich are the ones who are resisting you and persecuting you. It was the rich young ruler and the Pharisees who missed Jesus. It was the prostitutes and tax tax collectors who flocked to be around him. In fact, we could say the same thing today, couldn't we? Go over to the halls this morning of academia at Duke University or UNC. And there they will tell you that Jesus isn't the son of God and that the Bible is a joke. Go over to the country clubs this morning and you'll find rich people who see no real need of Jesus in their lives. That's why they're on the golf course. Meanwhile, sitting in here is a guy who drives a dump truck and a single mom working two jobs with tears in their eyes as they worship who are now joint heirs of the kingdom of God. Okay, now we gotta be careful here, right? Or we gotta fall right back into the sin of partiality. These rich people, now, I understand the text does mention this, but I'm just saying you got to be careful not to just immediately then say, well, rich people are not spiritual. Rich people, 
you can say that there is a tendency, a maybe, that riches at time can lead someone away from God instead of to God. You can say that. But there are poor people who may not be on the golf course, but they're not at church. And there's rich people who may not be at the golf course, and they can be in church, and they can be worshiping God with tears in their eyes. Um, someone just said, you will find those people everywhere and, and, and rich that are Christians. Right. You, I, I, I just think you got to be careful. Now I know what James is saying. James does say here, do ye ha, uh, do you have despise, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. So he's like, hey, 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 you're, you're, you're despising the poor, but look at what, how sometimes you suffer under the hands of the rich. I understand he's trying to make a correlation. Hey, don't just be despising poor people because sometimes rich people can do bad things to you. I think what he's trying to say is you should just treat all people equally. But I just think you got to be careful how you, how you articulate this because you're like, well, the rich people and the educated people, they don't get it. But the, uh, the rich people don't get it. But, and the educated people don't get it. I apologize that a FaceTime call. That's what happens when you're on the air for an hour and three minutes. But I think we just got to be careful. We fall right back into the sin of partiality, right? Now, I understand he's trying to base it off James, but I just think we got to be careful. Uh, I, I, and I, I think we got to be very careful. Hang on. I'm going to do, I'm going to do something really quick before, so I can wrap this up without being distracted. Okay, one second, right? T- texting my daughter t- who's trying to call me, right? She's got interesting news. She's got interesting news. And I'm like, I'm doing an interesting sermon review. Do you think you could save your interesting news until I'm done with my interesting sermon review? All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So there we go. All right. Now we can set that aside. I, so I understand James is making a point. Hey, why are you despising the poor people? Don't rich people sometimes, as it says, um, draw you before the judgment seats? Now, I I think we got to be careful how we interpret that. I'm not saying, hey, you shouldn't despise the poor because all the rich people are trash. I think what he's saying is, hey, you should not be worried whether they're poor or whether they're rich. You should be treating people without partiality because you can, if you look, the sin of partiality, if you're not despising the poor, because you should be despising the rich, then you're just flipping your partiality from despising the poor to despising the rich. You should not despise either. I think he's just saying, look, guys, you're over here despising poor people, but rich people, you know, are not, you know, super godly. They're not the great ones either. But the same thing could be said, don't despise the rich because poor people do this and this and this and this. I think the ultimate point is don't despise anyone. Don't despise anyone. And rich people can be in church on Sunday while poor people are sitting at home. Sometimes rich people may be off playing golf while the poor people are in church. It can, it can be both ways. Rich people can be in church while the poor people are off doing whatever they're doing. Either, it can be either way. And, I, and, and, and you can say, well, is it more likely? I think we can say the Bible does seem to warn that with well, I think the Bible seems to warn two ways, right? You could be so poor, I think the Bible in Proverbs mentions this, that you could be tempted to steal. You could be tempted to do crime. 
And you could be so rich that you're like, well, why do I need God? Why do I need God? I got everything I need. I, I got, I can get anything I want. There's nothing that is, I cannot obtain. So then that could be death. Both poverty and rich are both have spiritual dangers involved. Being in middle class, there are spiritual, no matter what your economic standing is, there are spiritual dangers involved because somehow our depravity will find a way for it to impact. All right. Now, I do apologize for that FaceTime call at the end. Oh, that drives me so crazy. But all right, nothing I can do about that. All right. I think there we go. We're going to have to stop. We're 66 minutes. I don't want to stop. Now I want to finish this. I know we took a long time at the beginning, but please do this. Yes, I think there's something not correct and not, the information not right at the end of that with the Greek. All right. I, 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 do, I believe that that is not, uh, I think there's just some, some mistakes there. Let's set that aside. Let's ask ourselves, let's look in the mirror. In what ways are you guilty of the sin of partiality? And what ways are you guilty of the sin of looking at everyone else and judging them and condemning them and making these maybe accusations towards them, bearing false witness, gossip and slander? Uh, how many times are you guilty of that? Look to yourself and see where you have done that. Now, you can look in James 2 yourself. He says there's three reasons James gives for why the sin of partiality is wrong. He's given, kind of hinted at one. I want you to look in James 2 and see if you can find the three reasons why James gives why the sin of partiality is wrong and see if you can identify three. If you identify three, if you identify three, email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'd love to see what three you come up with. Now, everyone is saying that flew by. Well, I'm, gr I'm glad it flew by for you. Uh, it was flying by for me until the FaceTime call because then I get frustrated. And I'm like, ah, that messed up an hour long program. But no, I literally have the timer here. It's 68 minutes and 32 seconds as of right now. Let me be live on the air. The only reason I may know that it's been an hour is because it's 700 and 57,000 degrees currently in this room. Okay, that's, that's why I know. So I'm going to pass out. Now I've got to call back my daughter because she's got interesting news. Interest Should I call her live on the air? No, I won't do that. I won't do that. All right. Okay, email me. James 2, three reasons. I need you to locate in James 2, three reasons why the sin of partiality is wrong. James 2, three reasons. Three reasons. Now we'll back this up just a little bit. Oh, I need to write down the time here. I need to write down the time here. Okay, now here's my plan. Around 10 p.m. Central Time, 10 p.m. Central Time, I'm going to be right here live on the air, and we're going to go, or I'll be back up here in the studio, and we'll go live at around 10 p.m., and we'll try to finish it. We may go an hour and a half tonight, but we'll finish it. All right? There we go. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That gives you just about a little over three hours. It gives you a little over three hours to find three reasons why the sin of partiality is wrong in James chapter 2. So you better get started now and email me soon. All right. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go call my daughter, find out 
Why? What this interesting news is. The interesting news better be she just became absolutely rich and she's about to send me half of her money. Okay, that's that's what the interesting news better be. All right. All right. I'm joking. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless.